wrestler court. Keenan and Turtle wrestler court. Keenan and Turtle wrestler court. Keenan and Turtle, yeah. Keenan and Turtle in the wrestler court. One's a fan, the other used to ref the sport. One will speak and then the other will retort. Things could get heated, someone could get hurt at wrestler court. Keenan and Turtle wrestler court. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Rustler Court with Keenan and Turtle. I'm Keenan, and I'm Turtle. And this week, this week we have a great guest. We have just a, a slew of great guests, but I'm really excited for this one. He's a Philadelphia boy with Philadelphia roots. Did you see the Ric Flair 30 for 30 on ESPN? I did, and it was fantastic. It really was. It just, I love the stuff. That's one of the things I like on the network too. Not the 30 for 30s, but the 24s and all those things. I love the look behind the curtain, behind the scenes, to get to know these guys as real people, guys and gals, as real people, not just characters on my TV. These looks at these kind of people, and especially with such such a good life, such a long life, such an interesting life that Ric Flair has had, I'm thrilled to talk to this guy. I can't wait. The man who put it all together, the director of Nature Boy, which aired last week on ESPN, Rory Carp, a Philadelphia boy, five-time Emmy winner. Coming five the, times? Five-time. 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 He's Booker T of the Emmy world. Emmy winner. Coming on with us in just a little bit, we're going to talk all about the 30 for 30 and the journey with the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, and a little added bonus with Rory there, Turtle. It's a little teaser you got going on there, and I like it. A little added bonus. Big event coming up Sunday. Two big events coming up Sunday. One, Rory's going to talk about, and the other, we're going to talk about right now. WWE Survivor Series comes to Houston, Texas this Saturday night in the Toyota Center live and only on the WWE Network. I hate to correct you. Saturday night might be the more anticipated one because it's war games. Sunday night is Survivor Series. Yeah, I'm... I'm excited for war games. I might be, and listen, I'm not trying to be negative because there's lots of Survivor Series that I like, but I might be a bit more excited for war games than I am for Survivor Series itself. I can see that. You know, war games, a Dusty Rhodes original, bringing it back, and I like this specifically because of Adam Cole. You know, we talked about it before. Adam Cole's a good friend of mine. He's finally getting to be seen on the worldwide stage as opposed, you know, he former Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion. Not that he wasn't seen on a national stage and a worldwide stage then. But, you know, when it comes to the WWE, it's just it's just the biggest platform for you to perfect your craft. It's like we talked about before, and we like we talked about the Jericho Omega match. It's a lot more difficult, and yes, you could tell me it's on one channel, I'll go right to that channel and find it, but it's a lot more difficult to find any other product aside from WWE out there. There's actually a little bit of news on the Jericho Omega front. Well, we'll get into that in a little bit. I'm excited to hear it. But I'm excited just in general to see the guys like the Adam Coles that I haven't seen to see the whole war game match Bobby that's Fish. going on. Yep. And, and just to, to see the women's match I'm looking forward to. The, the NXT women's title has been vacant for uh, since Asuka left. It, it's going to be a real interesting thing, but so is Survivor Series. Well, of course, the night before Survivor Series, NXT TakeOver Houston. Uh, certainly, War Games is going to be something to, to make sure you take a look at. But the next night is Sunday in the same city, Houston, Texas, yep. in the Toyota Center. It used to be the Thanksgiving Eve tradition. Now it's just in and around Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving tradition. Yeah. The Survivor Series, of course, 2017 version. Let's see, we take a look at some of these matches here, Turtle. So I'm ready. On the pre-show, we're going to have the Cruiserweight Championship. Enzo Amore taking on Clelisto. Now, we've said in the past, you know, Enzo's deal's kind of stale, but he still gets a reaction when he goes out there. Now, you can make the argument that just in recent times... Has been a lot of his best work since he split from Big Cass. And, and it really has. It's, it's weird to say, and I guess maybe, I don't want to put him in the class of like a Rock or Ric Flair or anything like that, but I can't remember a ton of wrestlers that get so much heat that had so much love on the other side. He went from being one of the top baby faces on the roster to being one of the most biggest heels on the roster in a span of weeks. In front of the crowd and in the locker room. It's impressive. It really is. And we might not like his skill set. We might not love the cruiserweight match. But his character transformation 
in a such short period of time has been unbelievably and impressive. And you got to remember, like, we talk about this all the time here. Wrestling in the WWE is the last thing anybody cares about. You're talking about character transition and character development and how he translates to the crowd. Well, he, he translates very well. People are still out there uh, reciting his his pro you know his verbatim word for word promo yeah. with him every single time. So he's you know he, he's very well, still very much relevant, still very well on think- his way. However. I do say Callisto takes the Cruiserweight title here Sunday. See, at I was Series. actually going the opposite way. I think it's a very simple. It's a pre-show match. I, I don't see much of a change going on with this whole Survivor Series thing because mo- no titles are up for grabs aside from this one. Well, so I, I just see it staying put. I see it staying as is because why would they have taken the title off Callisto to put it back on and to take it off him again? See, I say it's just a it's a feel good moment. It start it start you know get the crowd going. Let's start the show off hot type of thing. Fair. And, you know, so my prediction here, uh, Callisto, new Cruiserweight champion. Now, on to the main show. Let's start from the top. Brock Lesnar, Universal Champion versus SmackDown Live's WWE Champion, the phenomenal one, AJ Styles. I have an issue with this. Okay. And we didn't get into, we didn't get into it uh, at all yet. And it kind of just makes me wonder why and where the head of the creative team certainly is. I have no problem with AJ being World Heavyweight Champion. No problem with it at all. Love AJ Styles. We interviewed him back in the summertime. Here's he was our first guest on what was not then Wrestler Court. On sp- yep, we, uh, on Sports Radio 94, WIP, Facebook Live. We did, it's actually why we brought Wrestler what, Court on. What started this is, was our interview with AJ Styles. So AJ Styles, aside from being the greatest worker, is the cause of the Wrestler Court podcast. So thank you, AJ. That's why he's phenomenal. <laughs> so my issue with, with this here is Jinder Mahal. Yeah. AJ Styles does not need to be WWE champion. The belt is a prop. Sure. As we ha- as we spoke with the million dollar man Ted DiBiase last week, all he you know, he simply said that the title is a prop. Well, I mean, he didn't feel that he needed it because he was already over and drawing the heat. Same thing with the phenomenal well, one. Literally look at Brock Lesnar. That's the biggest point of view of the belt as a prop anyway. The guy barely ever defends it, barely ever around. They have the biggest champion, the universal champion, who's not around. But I agree with you. You could say the same thing for Brock. AJ doesn't doesn't need need it, it, and nor does Brock, but go on. Brock is bigger than the title. I I agree with you. You're building a star in Jinder Mahal. Jinder Mahal just became a top guy. He essentially came from nothing, and that's not slighting. Literally nothing. That's not slighting what he's done before. No, but that's just what he was. Jinder's a hard worker. Um, I may be a little biased because he's a buddy of mine, but at the same time, Jinder's rise came pretty much out of nowhere right after WrestleMania. They shot him right into the main event, which is fine, but it just started to click. Everything was just starting to fire on all cylinders, yeah. and now you're going to give him to Brock Lesnar at the Survivor Series. We already started this build. So let me ask you this question, and I get it, and I understand. I, I get your whole point, and I believe he does need the title. I'm not a Jinder fan, and it's great he's a buddy of yours, and I'm sure he's a nice enough guy, but I'm not a fan of his. Great drinking partner. But... That match for me does nothing. List of nothing. On the list of matches that had originally been planned for Survivor Series, I was least excited for that match. Well, what do you think is going to happen of that. here? What do you think is going to happen here? At least a competitive match. There's no way in my mind that Brock loses. Brock Lesnar was going to beat Jinder Mahal and he's going to beat AJ Styles. So it doesn't I think Brock Lesnar might have squashed Ginger. They Ginger. wouldn't have. Ginger. No, they wouldn't have done that to the WWE title. I at least believe, maybe I'm wrong, and I've been happy to be wrong before. And let's be honest. I was wrong about the Shield thing, too, so as we know that, let's, I'll admit that. Let's look at Jinder, and let's look at AJ. Who's more physically imposing? Well, Jinder by far. Of course. So right away, from a, from a visual standpoint, the match is going to be more... How do I want to say this? The match is going to be more... Um, oh, I don't know. Um, not 50-50, but along the same lines See, of competitive. I just disagree. I don't think they would have given Jinder that exact push there. My point being is that Jinder Mahal needed the belt, sure. needed the title to make him. AJ Styles was already made the minute he walked out in the Amway Arena as the number three entrant in the 2015-2016 Royal Rumble. Oh, and absolutely sure. I think, I truly believe this too, and we'll get back to this as we move down the line in the matches, that this was given for this match alone. In my mind, AJ drops the title again fairly quickly, probably to Ginger. Ginger. I keep saying Ginger. I'm sorry, people. 
probably to gender. I think this was matched for this only. If that's the case, it's stupid. Well, it's very stupid, but, but I get it. If that's the case, and AJ drops the belt back to gender, gender should carry this thing all the way to WrestleMania. I, I truly believe in some way, shape, or form that's what's going to happen. Because he's not gotten his rematch yet, correct? Uh, not to my knowledge. So that's going to happen probably another pay-per-view or maybe just a quick SmackDown show. And well, they, they, they changed it in Manchester just so they can make history for the, you know, the first World Heavyweight title change in England or whatever it was. Point being, I think this was done for this match alone. It may be a quick, a quick run for AJ. I believe the title will be back on Jinder Mahal soon, and he will probably carry through to WrestleMania. Maybe where AJ and him go back at it again. And AJ wins at that point. Well, I certainly hope you're right, and that remains to be seen. But let's move on. I think we both agree Brock Lesnar for the win yeah. at Survivor Series. For the win, but not a route. This is more of a 50-50 match in my mind. Fair enough. Let's move on to the 5-on-5 five five Survivor Series elimination match. On the Raw side, Kurt Angle, Braun Strowman, Finn Balor, the Samoan submission machine Samoa Joe. And this past Monday... This past Monday. Can we talk about this past Monday? What, please. It was better than the football game, just by the way. A major issue with this. I agree, but I saw that happening anyway. They're building to a... Triple H, the, Triple H announced as the final member of that Raw Survivor Series team. And yes, it looks, to, looks as though they're building towards WrestleMania. With I would Kurt Angle and Triple H. Kurt Angle and Triple Easy H. Call. Hopefully they don't hot shot it at the Royal Rumble right here in Philadelphia. That's a that's a WrestleMania match, but well, let, let's, we, before yeah. we get totally into it, let's bring out the SmackDown roster too with Shane McMahon leading the way, John Cena, Randy Orton, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Bobby Roode. We have to give that out too because it's important. I believe this is part of the reason why Triple H is here is the John Cena quote unquote Batman signal returning from his mock retirement but i agree with you triple h is a weird placement into this match it's a weird placement into the match and this is not slighting the game i love hunter hall of famer no doubt one of the best performers i've ever seen absolutely one of the best to ever lace up a pair of boots i mean argument can be made that he's on mount rushmore honestly and we'll do that show by the way down the line but, but I, I have a lot of thoughts on that like this whole thing with Jason Jordan, Monday night on Raw, I just have a huge problem with the whole Kurt Angle, Jason Jordan, son Angle. Like, look. It's stupid? It's, it's <laughs> stupid. But it's, it's, more, it's more so than that. Take, our, you know, take our, our opinion of it being stupid out of it. This is 2017, right? Like, we're in the age of social media and Twitter yep. and Instagram and all this stuff. Where Kurt Angle and his wife and, you know, family members and stuff are very active. Very visible, more than just active. Very, very visible, visible, yes, on social media. And I'm sorry, but these pictures I see of the kids, I really don't see Jason Jordan. No. So when you try to come out and tell me that he's his son, you're, you're insulting your own fans. Yep. So if you're going to try to target the five-year-old who's going to believe you, that's a very, very, very minuscule part of the audience. Well, the whole storyline itself, and I, I at least get it. I think it was executed poorly. I think it was just a, a bad way to bring Jason Jordan a main event-ish push. I get it. But it was just executed so terribly. It was brought out of nowhere. Like, Kurt was all of a sudden on his phone during Raw, like, oh no, I have something worrying about me. And Corey Graves, who I love, I think is one of the best announcers they have. He's fantastic. Just weirdly placed into the middle, like, oh, I know what it is, but nobody else does. Like, well, they tried to play it off execution. that. The whole thing with with Graves is that they tried to play it off that him and Jordan had, and they did, had the relationship in NXT, sure. and you know he's confiding in. But Graves they didn't really thing. say it that way. They didn't really prove it. I can that pick way. it. Up. I picked that up. But well, yeah, but you, the, the casual fan, there. yeah, right. I'm the casual fan. I had zero idea of it happening. Yeah, zero. So, I mean, the whole crying thing and the please don't do this, the whole promo, like, I agreed with Stephanie when she came out. She was like, are you kidding me? And I was thrilled that Triple H pedigreed him, too, by the way. It was awesome. It was awesome. So, yeah, I'm not really sure how much more 
How many more legs that whole thing has? Oh, it's totally over. By I the would way. have dropped it a long time ago. Here's Just- my prediction, by the way. Just to interrupt you. Here's my prediction. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen here. This match is going to be lost for Team Raw by a quote unquote heel turn by Jason Jordan coming in. Kurt Angle is either the second to last one or the last one, and he's going to ruin it for Team Raw. So then, guaranteed. You, what do you think they're building to Jason Jordan, Kurt Angle, Royal Rumble right here in Philadelphia? Probably. It's an interesting thought. Or maybe Jason Jordan. Kurt Angles versus Kurt Angles bodyguard or something like that. All right, so real quick, five on five Survivor Series elimination match, Team Raw versus Team SmackDown, your prediction? Team SmackDown loses, or Team Raw loses via Jason Jordan somehow interfering, costing Kurt Angle, something of that nature. I haven't thought that far ahead, but just just for argument's sake, I'll go on the opposite side. Deal. Let's move on here. We're going to the women's. Five-on-five Survivor Series match on the Raw side. Alicia Fox, Nia Jax, Asuka, Sasha Banks, and Bailey this past Monday night getting that last spot on the on the Raw women's team, taking on Team SmackDown. Becky Lynch, Carmella, without the recently released James Ellsworth. Thankfully. Naomi, uh, James is a good guy, uh, Tamina, and a surprise fifth member. Can we all wait and tell you who it is? I know who it is. Who is it? Paige. I was just going to ask... If you think Paige has a factor. We all know she's on her way back. Yeah. Well, she's literally she been was posting to... social media right. backstage. Yeah. She was supposed to return Monday, and she did that, and they, I, I think they kind of, you know. Well, yeah. We know how that goes. They wanted to Why be Why would you do that? Like, I, I love Paige. I think she's fantastic. She's great in the ring. She seems like a really cool person. But, like, let, 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 let's use our head here. The whole allure of the return, no matter who it is, is the surprise. And as much as I was semi-annoyed with Triple H's random appearance and insertion into the 5-on-5 men's match, the return was awesome because I didn't expect it. Even though I was watching, I was like, oh, somebody's going to come out and kick his butt. I didn't think it was Triple H. I thought it was going to be somebody who was just out, who we didn't know. But the surprise return is the best. And she ruined it. But she's going to be the returner here. I guarantee it. If she's the fifth member... People are going to, for, you know, people have already forgotten except us that she posted anything on social media and that she oh, yeah. didn't return overall or whatever it is. She's going to get a huge reception. Massive pop. A massive reaction this Sunday night in Houston, Texas in the Toyota Center. And that to me, and we get as we move on to our predictions here with this match, A, it's a match I'm super excited for because I think the women these days are sometimes outworking the men. I agree with you. They're obviously a bit limited with their skill sets just because... They don't allow them to do the big falls, the big pops, the big bumps, and all that stuff. Other than Charlotte, who does moonsaults off of everything, and she's and is already, unbelievably impressive. Al- I think she's already one of the best ever. We'll get to her and Alexa Bliss in just a second. But they don't allow them to do those big bumps. But this is just a match I'm so looking forward to because I think Becky's a good worker. I think Naomi's a good worker. Tamina very underrated as a worker. I'm very looking forward to seeing Nia Jax and Asuka. This is a very good combination match here that I'm really looking forward to see. It's for going to be great. For me, this is all contingent on Paige being the surprise fifth member. Should Paige return, SmackDown Live is the winner here. Absolutely. With, Paige, with Paige being one of, if not the, sole survivor. And I'm going to put you on the spot here a bit because I'm going to ask you who else it could be besides her. Because if it was Natty... They would have said it already. Yeah, I think she's so not a too. surprise entrant. She just was the logical entrant because she just lost the title. Her and Charlotte flopped. I mean, end I, of story. I don't, I they don't, would have said that. I mean, I don't know who's out there. Like, I don't think anybody in NXT is ready. Not that they're not ready, but not to garner a huge reaction. Maybe Liv Morgan, maybe. But if we're thinking outside of Paige, like Alita, maybe. If we're Fair. really thinking outside the box, a Trish Stratus, maybe. I don't know. But if I'm a betting man, which I'm not, but if I was, uh, my money's on page. I think it ultimately leads back to my point that it, it, it's going to be her because they would have said Natty. It's just a very easy, oh, well, Charlotte's in, she's out, Natty's in, done, switch. They would have said it. Prediction, women's five on five. Smackdown. Moving on, The Shield, Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, finally back together versus The New Day, Big E, Xavier Woods, and Kofi Kingston. For me, this is a no-brainer right here. Oh, absolutely. This, the, the shield over. They have to make up for Roman Reigns not being here last month. I, For me, this is an easy win for the shield. It, it's a very simple win because the New Day has so much positive power behind them, if I'm going to quote them. The power of positivity, it's always behind them. They could lose 100 matches in a row and still be so over. 
It doesn't matter. They don't have to win another match ever. 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 And they might be, and this is a stretch to say, that that team might be Hall of Fame worthy as is right now. The New Day, when they are long off of television, like, of course, you know, the BWO, the Blue Meanie, Hollywood Nova, and, yep. and Stevie Richards, they debuted in ECW 21 years ago, you know, yesterday or the day before. They are still getting booked as the BWO. Absolutely. Long after the New Day is off of television from the WWE, whether they're still with the company or not, these guys will be booked as the New Day yep. for conventions and appearances and what have you and the like. For the rest of their lives, for as 100%. long as they want it. Which is why I agree with you. The Shield wins probably pretty easily. Champion versus champion. Raw Women's Champion Alexa Bliss versus SmackDown Live Women's Champion Charlotte Flair. This is a match I'm looking forward to because Absolutely. these are my two favorite women in the company right now. I've been looking forward to this match for no other reason than these are my two favorite women in the company and I like them for completely different reasons. I feel that Alexa Bliss and Charlotte are on opposite ends of the spectrum on a couple different things. For my money, Charlotte Flair is already one of the best women to ever do this. Absolutely, 100% agree. Alexa Bliss isn't Charlotte Flair in terms of, and this is where we go back to wrestling isn't the most important. Mm -hmm. Alexa Bliss certainly isn't Charlotte Flair in terms of bell to bell. But her character and Five Feet of Fury and Little Miss Bliss and these looks and her facials and we've talked about before that yep. we, we certainly know a couple Alexa Blisses. Um, that's what tunes me in to Alexa Bliss. And, let, and don't get me wrong. When the bell rings, Alexa Bliss isn't bad. Oh, yeah. She can go, but she's not, she's not a Charlotte Flair. If there were a Hall of Fame, if there were a Mount Rushmore of characters, exclusive characters, Alexa Bliss might be on that already. Just because you say it, her facials are great, her character is great, her attitude's great. And it's even funnier to see, I, I don't know why, but I watched Total Divas the other day just because there was nothing on. I usually try to keep up on that a little and bit. And it was her like debut episode. And even then, it was just such a weird dynamic of her being nice to being real snotty and mean. And she'd be on it right now. But you're right, Charlotte is easily the best, well, maybe besides Asuka, the female worker in the ring yeah, right just, now. I, I don't get the whole Asuka thing. We could talk about that in a little bit. I just... I'm already lost on it. Well, her push is fine, but aside from that, I love Charlotte. And I was thinking originally when this was Natty v. Alexa, Alexa was going to roll. Of course. Now, not so much. Well, you got to take into effect everything that's going on with, with the Flair family right now. The 30 for 30 just came the out, book of course. just came out. We have Rory Carp coming up here in just a couple of minutes. The book just came out. There's a lot of outside-the-box things that that factor in to Charlotte winning here. If Charlotte went under to Alexa, just it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and quite frankly, for all these other things that the WWE has their hands, and it kind of kills the momentum. And Alexa doesn't need to win either. It's similar to the New Day. She would be, quote, over, even though she's getting a ton of heat because she's the villain in this case, she'd be over with a win or a loss anyway. Women's champion versus women's champion. Prediction. Charlotte Flair. Charlotte Flair. There we go. Sheamus and Cesaro, Raw Tag Team Champions. Versus the Usos, SmackDown Tag Team Champions. I'm going to go real quick here and just say the Usos are going over in this one because nope. you can't deny the type of work, the body of work, I should say, that the Usos are doing right now. Yeah. The Usos should be on every television show, every pay-per-view. I mean, the quality of work these guys are putting out is second to none. Some of the best stuff I've seen tag team action in a long time. And it's cool to see those guys take the similar risks to like the Hardys or whatever. As But they're bigger dudes. That's why Samoa Joe is a big draw for me. Because he's a bigger guy that can, I don't want to say fly around like a Jeff Hardy or a Callisto or anything like that. But he's a bigger guy that's kind of light of foot. Is able to float around the ring and do super kicks and all that kind of stuff. I, I agree with you. The, the Usos win. I have no real interest much in the bar. And especially, and I get why, the injury and maybe or maybe not other things, with Sheamus, not Sheamus, uh, with Cesaro still wearing that mouth guard that makes him sound completely dumb. I think it's just a cool little element. I don't mind the mouth guard. Oh, I despise it. The, it, the Usos are easily going over. Finally, here we have Intercontinental Champion versus United States Champion. Rawls, The Miz versus SmackDown Live's Baron Corbin. Again, real quick here, I just... <laughs> 
We've talked about this before, man. I, I, I just don't see it with Baron Corbin. The Miz here wins in a decisive fashion. The Miz and the Miz-Daraj, they, they walk into Monday Night Raw with their heads held high. The Miz, obviously, still the Intercontinental Champion in a victory over SmackDown Live. I just, I mean, Baron I, I, Corbin I just doesn't have it for me. He just to me, have it. Baron Corbin, they want Baron Corbin to be the Miz. That's what they want in my mind. They so the badly... same character, the same kind of attitude, the same kind of I don't give a bleep or whatever. Yeah, it's but he's just, not. I just don't. He's I don't a good buy, athlete, I guess. Sure, but, and he, you know, he was a football player that type of thing. There's no denying he's a good athlete. I just but the Miz rolls easily. The, easily the rolls. Miz rolls easily, and it's just it's just still still no matter how hard they try, it's still hard for me to buy into Baron Corbin. Absolutely. So that's Sunday, this Sunday night, November nineteenth. At Survivor Series, Houston, Texas, and the Toyota Center. But coming up next, a Philadelphia boy with some Philadelphia roots. He's the director of the Ric Flair 30 for 30 on ESPN. Rory Carp is coming up next on Wrestler Court. Hey, everybody. Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man here. And if you want to get your money's worth, then stay right here. Because you're listening to Wrestling Court with Keenan and Turtle. And remember, everybody's got a price for the Million Dollar Man. <laughs> All right, Turtle, slam down the gavel. Court is now in session and on the line with us. He's a five-time Emmy winner. He is the director of the ESPN 30 for 30, I Hate Christian Leitner. Also, the director of the most talked about ESPN 30 for 30 in quite some time on Nature Boy Ric Flair. He's a Philadelphia boy with Philadelphia roots. His name is Rory Carp, and he's on the line with us right now. How you doing, Rory? Hey, what's up, man? How are you? Everything. This is my first time in- First, this isn't my first time in court, by the way. So. <laughs> well, hopefully it's your last. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> well, let's jump right into this. Hey, so let's start locally here for a second. Philadelphia, I was born in 1985, and Philadelphia was always a hotbed for wrestling, whether it was the NWA at the old Civic Center or the WWF or you know now WWE uh, down at the, at the old Spectrum. Were you always a fan growing up? Huge fan growing up. I... I went to the Spectrum and saw Hulk Hogan versus King Kong Bundy with my first match. I saw Ric Flair versus Ricky Morton at the Civic Center. I would do anything to go see wrestling. Uh, like, my dad took me once, and he had kind of like, he's like, oh, this isn't for me. I don't know. I'm not taking you again. So anyone that was willing to take me to a wrestling event, I would be friends. I was like a child predator's dream. <laughs> just, like, just like an eight-year-old looking for adult companionship. So I, teachers took me, his parents. I had some mentally deranged cousin who was an adult took me. Very, very unhealthy, unstable environment for me to be in. But I didn't care. Corporal Kirshner was wrestling. I had to see <laughs> Uh, so, take me through. So, when you were directing the I Hate Christian Leitner 30 for 30, was that the first time you had met Rick? Yes, uh, it was. I actually didn't even do that interview. It was a producer friend of mine. We had two interviews going that day, and I was at the other one. So, I didn't even interview Rick for that film. Uh, somebody else did. But uh, the interview bite, he appeared in one interview bite in I Hate Christian Leitner. And just from that fight, it created a frenzy on social media. And ESPN took notice. So I reached out to Rick and his manager and got the ball rolling. So, of course, Flair being a major heel in wrestling and Christian Leitner being much of the same in the basketball world, um, when this started to garner a lot of buzz, that little clip uh, in the I Hate Christian Leitner 30 for 30, and ESPN went ahead and greenlit this for you, what were your immediate thoughts? Oh, I mean, I was ready. I, I think I ran through a wall in my kitchen. I was so excited. <laughs> I, I was like, wait a second. You guys are going to do something on wrestling? All right. That's cool. Let's do it. So it was it was awesome. I mean, most of the time I just had to kind of contain myself from not acting like a total lunatic around these people I grew up watching and, and, and act professional, which I managed to, but it was awesome, you know, and just getting to interview these people and to work with Rick. and You know, I can be a fan and a filmmaker at the same time. Absolutely. Let's let's start at the beginning. How long does a project like this take? How long did it take from pen to paper to film to air? It took about two years. And, you know, in a documentary, you, you really don't, even though you're looking back at someone's life, 
you really don't want to set like on paper how it's going to go. You, you you get very locked in there, and sometimes you don't go with the best material. And just really let the material that you get guide you. And the material was mainly from the interviews we did with Rick. We did two really lengthy interviews with him, and the film changed a lot at different times in the two years. I turned in one cut that I edited myself, and ESPN didn't like it. Then I turned in a second cut that was very different. Like kind of all centered on the 1980s uh, in pop culture, and they they really hated that one. So uh, it, by the third time, we got it right, and then you know that that cut gets refined quite a bit. So he was actually getting frustrated. He even said to me, "I'm going to die before this thing comes out," <laughs> and he almost did. So. The more this went on, as as time went on, and the more you got to know Rick, and the more you got to work with him. Did you ever feel that Ric Flair never really knew who Richard Flair was? Oh, that's such a deep question. You know, a little, little uh, Sigmund Freud on the line, huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think they, you know, in the film, Shawn Michaels uh, says that line, that, you know, the nature boy's just a myth, and he hasn't discovered who Richard Flair really is. I think there's some, definitely some truth to that. He, wrestling allowed him to this person. You couldn't act like he acted in any world besides wrestling. And not just on camera, but away from the camera. He got away with doing things because of this nomad lifestyle that they lived, and he, he could be this person. He really... I, I don't really think there's a difference between the two anymore. I, I think that Richard Fleer and the Nature Boy are one of them. Of course, we're talking to Rory Karp, director of the popular Ric Flair 30 for 30 that aired last week on ESPN. Keep an eye out for upcoming replays on ESPN and several of its affiliates. Be sure to follow Rory as well on Twitter, at Rory Karp. That's at R-O-R-Y-K-A-R-P-F. You know, for you to really tell the story and to not hold anything back meant for a lot of people to be brutally honest about Ric Flair. One that sticks out to me is Triple H. Was it hard for Rick to see this? And at the same time, did you understand what people were, where people were coming from? <laughs> um, I think a lot of the film was tough for Rick to watch. I really do. We we screened it the first time uh, at San Diego Comic Book Convention in his hotel room. And I'll tell you what's uncomfortable. And I've been in uncomfortable situations watching cuts with people. But you know, try watching a film where they are discussing that Rick Flair is an alcoholic, and while we're watching it, Rick Flair's drinking. Like, so, it was a little, I didn't know if he was going to turn around and flood me. But, <laughs> yeah, and then there's the emotional part. And I think if, if we would have just interviewed people that had, like, an axe to grind or didn't like Rick, uh, that would be expected. But to hear these comments coming from Triple H and Shawn Michaels and his children, uh, I think, you know, to his credit, he accepted it, understood it. He knew it going in, but I do think it surprised him a little bit. He was he was definitely taken back, even from, especially from what Jim Ross said in the film. So there were some hard truths maybe to hear. You know, something that's still very new to Rick is dealing with the loss of his son Reed, just a couple years removed from that entire situation. But in order to tell this story in its entirety, you had to include him. When it came to his son, was there any apprehension on the flair side of things to use him as a subject in the film? I think he Rick knew this was an open and, you know, Rick had a saying about paying the price. Uh, he said, you got to be willing to pay the price. In wrestling, he used to say that. And he paid the ultimate price in losing his son. That's a thing that very few stories have. You know, you'll, you'll have tales of athletes who spend all their money or, or have, a, have a drinking or drug problem and find redemption. But how many... How many of their children try to emulate them, get into their profession, and by emulating them, it costs it costs the kid their life. So right. that's kind of what that's what happened with Reed, and I think Rick has a lot of regrets. So I don't think you could do this story without including it. It, it would be a grave injustice. Now, Rick's daughter Ashley, who's better known to wrestling fans as the new SmackDown uh, SmackDown Live Women's Champion Charlotte, she appeared several times in the film as well. How easy was WWE to deal with in terms of gaining access to their talent as well as obtaining footage for the project? They were uh, surprised. 
surprisingly easy. <laughs> I, I didn't expect it, but Triple H was really the linchpin. I think it helped that, you know, Rick's alive. So he picks up the phone, he calls Triple H. Triple H reveres Rick so much. And uh, almost in um, a fatherly way. And I don't mean he looks at Rick like his father. I think that he looks at Rick almost like his son. He, like, takes care of him. Right. And, and he knew it was a really big deal for him, for Rick, to have the ESPN 30-30. So part of it was that Rick really wanted to do a good job, participate. He found it to be a great honor. A lot of, you know, some people might not think that. They're like, I don't need a film on me. But he wanted that. He expressed that to Triple H, and Triple H, you know, besides Vince McMahon, there's no one kind of higher up you can have kind of in your corner. So he's very helpful. He basically told the footage people, get Rory what he wants. And he said, who do you want to interview? And I gave my list. It wasn't a whole lot of people, but like The Undertaker and, and Ashley, and especially with The Undertaker, I mean, I don't think those things would have happened without Triple H's blood. No, obviously, I mean, and this... There can be an argument made here, and if you ever want to start a good bar wrestling argument, you know, you can certainly start off here. Ric Flair was never the biggest draw in wrestling. He was certainly a top guy. He drew top money, but he was never the, the major, major attraction, the likes of Steve Austin and The Rock and Hulk Hogan and the like. But what do you think it is about Rick that makes him, and still makes him, uh, an icon in the sports world and across pop culture? You want to have some kind of nerd argument, is what you're saying? Uh, <laughs> I can have a nerd argument. I think I think Rick's really relevant in that. Well, first of all, bad guys usually aren't the biggest draws. Uh, it's usually a good guy, but Rick created this lifestyle of being man. Like I'm the man. I'm. I have the most stuff. I have the biggest house. I have the most women. I can drink the most. I can stay up all night. I can wrestle for an hour, and I'm the best. And I think he was almost at the forefront of that show-me culture that we live in now, where, you know, it, it kind of went to Gordon Gecko. Greed is good. Then Fantastic saw, movie, by the way. Yeah, it's a very good movie. Bad sequel, but good first movie. Horrible sequel, and, yes. And, uh, and then it went, you know, gangster rappers like Snoop and Jay-Z. I mean, they're, they're talking about this aspirational lifestyle. I've got the most women. I've got the, that nicest car, and I'm the toughest guy here. So they, they, Rick kind of got a second life off of YouTube, and, and his promos are very relevant. And, you know, look at just like Facebook. People aren't posting on Facebook, uh, I had a tough day at my 9-to-5 stink. Most people are posting... Uh, look at this great trip I'm on. Look at this great food I'm eating. I have the nicest family and the cutest kids. And Rick personifies that in a way. And he's extremely fun and funny. So there's like a form of escapism. I think that's what rap music provides. I think it's what wrestling provides in a way. Uh, so he's very relevant now. Where I don't think like Hulk Hogan or the Ultimate Warrior or even Macho Man provide that. Where they, they seem kind of dated. Now, whereas Rick, I mean, his promos were incredible and funny. Some of the best work in the history of the business. Not just, it's almost like a disservice limited to wrestling. Like, a lot of times you remember things from when you were a kid, and it's not as good as you remember. Like, you kind of glot, you kind of put a sheen on it that wasn't there, and you just kind of remember it that way as a kid. He's better than I remembered as a kid. His promos were so good. He was so funny, but he could then flip a switch and be incredibly intense and make himself bleed, and he was very believable that he hated this person, and he really believed what he was saying. He's an incredible actor, uh, and just one of the best public speakers and improvisation I've ever seen, and I'm including comedians, actors. That's how good he was, so... It's like one of those things that, you know, he's, he was ahead of his time. Uh, Rick Flair, Flair just had a recent medical scare. Because of that, was this project ever in jeopardy? <laughs> you have these questions written down, don't you? Don't Absolutely. You know, I want to make sure we have solid up. questions for you. These are very, they're very uh, precise. Um, no, no, it wasn't in jeopardy. It was, the question was whether we should include it in the ending of the film. And that was a 
that was a discussion we definitely had. And once Rick was pulling out of his health care, like he was going to be okay, I decided, along with the uh, executive producer of the film, John Dahl, not to include it because we wanted the film to be evergreen. You could watch it a year from now, five years from now, and it would still hold true. Not it only holds true in the fall of 2017, and then it becomes dated that he gets sick again or he, drink, he drinks himself to death or something like that. So uh, we did decide. But once, once it looked like he was going to pull through, we handled it just in a director's statement during the broadcast. During the film, he revealed to you that he could never just be a man. He always had to be the man. What type of impact did that have on you? It made me weep, uncontrollable crying, and uh, no, I don't know. It didn't. <laughs> it's, I think. It, I think it's interesting statement. I think it defines kind of the movie and a struggle that a lot of people in the limelight have. There's a reason why actors, comedians, and wrestlers get involved. I think they like that adulation. And you can make the argument if something missing in their own life that they would need that, um, you know, if they're, if they're not healthy or not. So I think with Rick, he says he couldn't ever live being just a man. He had to be the man. And a man takes his kids to school, goes to baseball games, goes to PTA meetings, and no one is cheering for you at a PTA meeting. Believe me. So I think that he struggled with that a lot. And I think that's one of the central themes of the film. What's your honest opinion on how Ric Flair has lived his life? Loser. No. Uh, how he lived his life? I think he's, um, I'm being sarcastic. Um, I think that he lived his life. He says it in the film. He wants to be remembered as the greatest wrestler of all time. That was his priority. And with, with greatness comes a lot of sacrifice. And he sacrificed to be the man. He wasn't much of a man. And to me, an A-man uh, takes care of his wife and children, which he didn't do. And then it's kind of left for the viewer to decide. I mean, he's brought a lot of joy to people, for sure. But I think he's he brought some heartache to people closest to him. One of the things I highly enjoyed is, I believe it was a tweet that you sent out when you were talking about interviewing The Undertaker, and you said... The Undertaker brewed you coffee. Now, I worked with the dead man on many occasions, but he's never, ever made me a cup of coffee. So I got to ask, how was a cup of coffee from the dead man? Uh, it was dark. Black coffee. <laughs> was it cold? It was, it was cold as ice. <laughs> um, uh, it was, yeah, you worked with The Undertaker? Like, I, I did. Yep, I was, uh, I was a referee in the WWE for about five years. Four, four and a half. He was. I, I'm like ruining his gimmick, and I feel bad about it actually because uh, he's a private person for sure. But the guy was incredibly nice. I, I don't know how else to describe it. He was like gregariously friendly. And I've always said the same thing. He was chipper almost, like Ned Flanders. Not what you would expect, but he, yeah, he had coffee, some sort of pastries. He was incredibly welcoming. He's a nice, very nice texter. Texting's very nice. Um, and then he showed up at the premiere in Atlanta, and he took pictures with my children, and he was very friendly to them, and much, much more friendly than Kane, by the way. <laughs> uh, so uh, it was also at the premiere. My son ran up to Kane and said, uh, I saw your bro, man. What's up? Are you guys going to fight in the lobby? My kid's like eight years old. <laughs> you, you, you would think you, you would crack a smile. Right, that. nothing? Uh, zero. Uh, looked, looked disgusted. Come actually. on, Kane, crack a smile, dude. I always yeah. said the same thing about The Undertaker. Like, it kind of ruined the mystique of Undertaker for me a little bit. When I, I would walk into the house shows, and you know, as a referee, I would be one of the first people there. No, 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 no. The Undertaker was already in the ring waiting for people to show up to help the new guys with whatever it is they wanted to work on. He was on last, no pun intended, dead last, and he was the first guy in the building. It was unbelievable. It was such an unbelievable sight, such an iconic figure willing to give back in the way that he did. Well, and he, um, he seemed like a really nice dad. Gee, that was the other thing that struck me. I, I always like when you're around people and their children are there, you can really, I think, get a sense of someone with how they interact with their kids. If they're like, oh, I'm busy, you know, leave me alone. But like, he, like, he was like getting on the floor and playing with her and <laughs> he just seemed, he seemed very happy. as the, And, you know, he's 
I mean, you know he's playing a character, and he's sure. incredible what he does. I'd love to do a 30 for 30 on him. And I brought it up to him, and it was like, yeah, no chance. But Wow. <laughs> Uh, that, that makes me sad to hear. I would definitely, I'd be definitely down for that. Uh, just a couple more here. As a Philly guy, Philly boy who grew up on wrestling in Philadelphia, what are some of your favorite memories here in the city? Oh, man, I have a lot. Uh, I, I saw the Great American Bash in Philadelphia uh, at the Vet Stadium. Wow. And I saw Rowdy Roddy Piper fight Mr. Wonderful. I saw ECW. They came to my middle school. My junior high school, Colonial Middle School. I went to Colonial Middle School. Did you really? I did. I you went to, to Plymouth White Marsh. Uh, I would have went to Plymouth White Marsh, uh, but I moved. Back. I'm from Roxborough, Maniunk, but I, I would. I moved back down there. Um, I went to the four five school for uh, for fifth grade, and then Colonial Middle for sixth and seventh. Oh, cool! Yeah, so I went there, and they uh, the ECW came. Like we just went. I was in high school, and we just went and stopped by, and like there were like two hundred people there. They're like. People had cheese graters and their own <laughs> chairs. And literally, the wrestlers were, like, wrestling through the hallways of the school, like, hitting each other into lockers. It was it was insanity. I never had that, like, feeling of just such interaction where, like, I actually thought a wrestler might hit me. So, <laughs> and then I, I went to the ECW arena where uh, it was when Eddie Guerrero wrestled his last match for ECW, and he was going to WCW. And I just remember this... Uh, woman next to me. First of all, they didn't have seats in this place. No air conditioning. You're standing on like bleachers, and um, this woman next to me is like hysterical, crying as if as if a human being died. And uh, I'm like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> 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 this, is, this is this is too much even for me. What am I doing with my life? So, yeah, yeah great memories. I mean, Philadelphia is a great, great wrestling town. In fact, I actually saw a precursor to ECW called the Tri-State Wrestling Alliance. Uh, Joel and Goodhart. I, that's right. And yes. I saw Cactus Jack fight Eddie Gilbert. Hot stuff wow, Eddie Gilbert. hot stuff Eddie Gilbert. And, yeah, they fought in like a best of three falls match. Like one fall was like barbed wire. One was like a falls count anywhere. And Mick Foley was in my car. I picked him up for his interview with Nature, but I told him I saw that match. Even he barely remembered that match. But I told <laughs> him awesome. about it. And, yeah, it was cool. A, a lot of the people for the movie uh, that came to... I live in Charlotte. Some of them would fly in for their interview. First of all, they would think... They would say, you know, it's a car service coming. I'm like, yes, and, and I'll take you to the studio. The car service is me, and we're going to my house. <laughs> that's, where, that's where we're filming it. So uh, Jim Ross, who we interviewed, he, he flew in flew him in from Oklahoma, and uh, he thought a car service was picking him up, and it was me. And, you know, he was asking, he, he, I think he thought I was the driver when I met him, and I'm like, no, man, it's me, Rory. And he's like, oh, hey, what's up? And then he was like, hey, uh, you know, or, is there any going to be lunch, like, on the shoot? I'm like, you, you know it. We went to, like, Brugger's Bagels, just him <laughs> and I. <laughs> and like, we were, but it was actually really cool because we got to hang out, know each other, and it was also very, like, low-key. So then when we went to the interview, I think he was really open and more, way more comfortable than he would have been otherwise. Uh, so it was really, really fun project to work on. All right, Rory, last, last question. I need a big prediction here. This Sunday night, Sunday night football, the 8-1 and one Eagles going to the 5-4 and four Cowboys, led by Carson Wentz into Arlington, Texas versus Dak Prescott in Dallas. What are your thoughts on the Eagles season so far? Give me a prediction for Sunday and your outlook on the rest of the season? Well, on one hand, you know, I'm really excited. But on the other hand, I'm an Eagles fan. So I'm just used to crushingly, crushing disappointment. <laughs> so I'm used to, like, there's a chance to win the Super Bowl, minutes to go, and Andy Reid seems to act like he's at a leisure resort. You know, what's <laughs> going on, dude? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, this isn't, this isn't like me trying to be a football coach. It's just a simple time management. <clears throat> He's gone, thankfully. By the way, Andy Reid tried to get me fired from my first job. Little known fact. Um, I don't. I could delve into that story if you want. But how did he try to get you fired? He. Uh, I, my first job was at NFL Films, and I was doing an interview with him. I was young. I was probably like 22, and uh, I, I made a joke during the interview. Look, he, he, I heard him joke about this on WIP with like Howard Eskin. 
So I thought it would be okay. I thought he had a good sense of humor. I was incredibly ignorant. And I said, hey, it's no question you like to eat. What's your favorite food? It's no, it's no, it's, yeah, something like that. And, and then, you know, he kind of laughed it off and said cheeseburgers. and what. Then I get this, there's this email that my boss has, and it's from the PR director, the Eagle, saying, you know, Rory Karf is not NFL film material and, and how unprofessional I was. I'm not right to a certain degree, but it was kind of a jerky move a little bit. Yeah, but now we thumb our nose down at Andy Reid because, you know, well, whatever. He's the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, and they handed us our only loss of the season. Right, exactly. So I, I, I'm excited about the birds. i got to tell you, I did a film where I interviewed, I interviewed Jerry Jones, and unfortunately it was actually a good experience, so I can't even, like, say anything bad about him. But I told him I told him I was I told him I was an Eagles fan and he was cool. So uh, man, I got to go birds all the way. Maybe this is maybe maybe this is finally the year. I have a feeling this is the year. I I couldn't be more excited. And this is certainly the year for you with the Ric Flair, ESPN thirty for thirty. Roy, we appreciate you hopping on for a couple minutes today. Congratulations on everything, and we hope to see more out of you in the future. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> well, well, hello, million dollar man. <laughs> His laugh gets me every single time. In some form or fashion, that's going to be in every episode. Absolutely. How great was Rory? A Philly guy. It was amazing. I loved hearing those stories. A big Eagles fan, a disdain for the Dallas Cowboys, and even a Howard Eskin mention in there. You always got to mention the King. Well, certainly our thanks to Rory, and we appreciate everyone listening to this episode of Wrestler Court. If you want to go back and listen to all of our old episodes, please do search in iTunes or Wrestler Court. They are all in the archives, of course. Follow us on social media, the show account on Twitter, at Wrestler Court. Me, Keenan, I am at Real Kev Keenan. Of course, co-host Turtle here. Is it co-host or, or host? The host, according uh, to Robbie. Get it right. Oh, boy. At, at Eric S. Golden. The host will say it. Well, excuse me. Don't make me get Robbie E. on your butt. God, keep him far away from me. Once again, our thanks to Rory Carp. Everybody, keep an eye out for the replay of the Ric Flair ESPN 30 for 30. Until next week, this has been Wrestler Court, powered by Sports Radio 94, WIP. Ah!